The aim of the Folklore Podcast is to bring quality folklore discussion and world-class guests to its audience completely free of charge. As such, we do not carry adverts and do not accept sponsorship. You tell us you prefer it this way. In return, we rely on your support to continue making episodes of the podcast. Without it, we cannot keep going. If you enjoy the Folklore Podcast, please consider clicking the donate button at thefolklorepodcast.com or signing up for a small monthly contribution in return for exclusive content and rewards at www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. If you cannot help in this way, please share our episodes on social media and leave positive reviews for the podcast in your app of choice. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. In 2011, a scandal erupted at the media giant News International surrounding the hacking of telephones, which became global news. It eventually led to the closing down of one of the flagship newspapers from the stable, the News of the World, and the removal of key personnel from the corporation. Among these was the editor of the paper, Rebecca Brooks. Brooks some people may remember, had striking red hair. This led to comments being made about her which, had they been made about her skin colour instead, would have been wholly unacceptable, but, pertaining to her hair, were deemed perfectly fine. Murdoch got rid of the wrong red top, was one such comment. The other? Rebecca Brooks is proof that gingers don't have souls. This latter comment is interesting, because the idea of redheads not having souls can be found in other sources. In fact, we can trace the source of the comment to something quite recent. In 2005, an episode of the American cartoon series South Park was broadcast, called Ginger Kids. In it, hostility towards redheads escalates until it becomes a system of apartheid, Eventually, the Ginger Kids plan a pogrom against all of those who don't have red hair. And this is where the phrase, gingers have no souls, is first used. Subsequent uses then don't reference the original source at all. This is very similar, going right back to our first episode, of the figure of Slenderman catching on without any further references to Creepypasta as the source. Stereotypes based on appearance are all too common. There is one connecting blondes to lesser intelligence, for example. But redheads certainly seem to often have a raw deal. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. Today on the Folklore Podcast, we examine some of the myths, folklore and superstitions connected to redheads. So, 
Where might some of these ideas come from? Is there evidence to support any of the comments made about redheads? Do they even have particular traits? Often, we might try and pick up some clues from older beliefs or superstitions. The Encyclopedia of Superstitions, Folklore and the Occult Sciences of the World, published in 1903, has this to say about women and men who sport red hair. A lady with long red hair is glib of tongue, talkative and vain. She will not submit to contradiction. She has a constant flow of spirits. She is much given to the pleasures of love. However delicate her person may be, she has a strong constitution and is generally vigorous. Her temper is impatient and fiery. Her promises are seldom to be depended upon, because the next object that engrosses her attention makes her forgetful of everything that preceded it. She will always resent any disappointment she may meet with. A man with long red hair is cunning and deceitful, much in traffic, restless in disposition, constantly roving, and very desirous of the pleasures of love. He is covetous of getting money and spends it foolishly. He is indefatigable, and no obstacle will induce him to forsake his enterprise until he at last has seen the issue of it. He is inclined to timidity, but by reflection may correct it and pass for a man of courage. We already see some dichotomy here. Redheads are generally thought of as fierce and yet men may be inclined to be timid, although they can overcome this. We find the same dichotomy in lots of examples. In Egypt, for example, it was believed in ancient times that the colour red was unlucky. Once a year, a ceremony would be held where a red-headed woman would be burned alive. This was an attempt to banish the ill fortune of red hair. But also, on the other hand, they associated redheads and animals with red hair with the god Set. Many of the pharaohs had red hair, not least Ramesses, who was one of the most powerful. A similar split between lucky and unlucky beliefs attached to red hair are found in Ireland. Generally, red hair is considered lucky here but some Irish believed that the trait of red hair came from the Danes, whom they hated, and hence it was unlucky. This animosity towards the Danes, stretched across Britain in fact, stemming from the Viking invasions, and so the phrases red-haired Dane or red Dane were used as an insult. In 1896, the English dialect dictionary defined the word Dane as a red-haired man, a term of reproach. Insults of this nature are recorded in Cheshire and in Cornwall, for example. The custom of first footing comes predominantly from Scotland and the north of England, although we find variations across the country and also internationally. It relates to the first person to cross the threshold of a house after midnight on January the 1st. You would obviously want someone to bring you good luck for the year. Around 1900, 
in a village close to the city of Liverpool, it was recorded that if a red-headed man ventured to come to the door on New Year's Eve as a first foot, he was driven away and called a bloody Dane. Spain is another country which historically held a prejudice against red-haired people. In this case, in a country known for its ties with the Madonna and Christianized festivals, the animosity stems from their belief that Judas Iscariot, the man who was said to have betrayed Jesus, had red hair. This belief, in fact, is not purely a Spanish one, but is generally one of the more significant themes found in literature and folklore pertaining to redheads. A letter published in the journal Notes and Queries in 1916 says, Some years ago, I knew a red-headed and bearded Lancashire policeman who was commonly known as Red Judas, though, as far as I am aware, there was nothing against the man except the pronounced colour of his hair, and maybe his profession, to account for his sobriquet. In her examination of redheads and superstition, folklore author and playwright Sophia Kingshill points out that dramatists in Tudor and Jacobean times often mention Judas and his red hair. Shakespeare, in As You Like It, has Rosalind say of Orlando that his hair is of the dissembling colour, and Celia counters in reply that it is something browner than Judas's. Other plays of the time by different authors have lines such as I ever thought by his red beard he would prove a Judas, said of an unfaithful Jewish husband, or that hungry fellow with the red beard there, spoken of Judas himself. To find out why these writers all thought of Judas as being red-haired, we need to look back further, of course, to the way that he was depicted in art and iconography. Many of the artists from the 14th century onwards paint Judas as a redhead, and hence the depiction becomes common in the same way as we all have a westernised image of Christ based on art of the time. Interestingly, the depiction can sometimes be altered to conform as well. A 19th century reworking of a Leonardo da Vinci work colours Judas's hair red, whereas in the original he was dark. The question we need to ask now, of course, is why these artists portrayed Judas in this way in the first place. One theory comes from biblical scholar David Eames. He suggested that the name Iscariot could have several meanings. Three of these have no bearing. One is man of Kerioth, another Sicarius, meaning dagger man, and the third false one. The fourth possibility is from a Hebrew-Aramaic word meaning reddish-brown. This is the derivation which Eames favours. Of course, any one of these, or none of them, might be correct. So there is a possibility here that Judas may have actually had red hair, but nothing more than that. Equally possible is to reverse the whole idea, something favoured by art historian Ruth Melenkoff. That is to say, that the artists who painted Judas in this way were, in fact, reinforcing an already existing prejudice against redheads. People didn't like them, and people didn't like Judas. Ergo, Judas was a redhead. 
The whole idea then just continues in a cyclical way. This premise is perhaps backed up in a passage from a letter from St Jerome on the subject of raising daughters, in which it says, Do not dye her hair red, and thereby presage for her the first of hell. The figure of Judas with red hair is also linked to vampire folklore. Some say that Judas became the first vampire when he took his own life after the betrayal of Jesus. The thirty pieces of silver subsequently acted as a weapon which would burn his skin if they touched him. This all sounds very reminiscent of a Hammer Horror movie, but we can look to European vampire lore and indeed find a clan called the Children of Judas. These vampires come out of areas of Serbia, Bulgaria and Romania, and are known predominantly from oral tradition rather than written documentation. They were said to be the spawn of the biblical Judas Iscariot, and consequently are also known for having red hair. Of all of the variants of the undead in the Balkans, the children of Judas are thought to be the worst, being able to drain a victim with a single bite or kiss. This leaves a scar in the shape of three X's, said to signify the thirty pieces of silver which Judas received for his betrayal. Details of the clan were recorded by Montague Summers in his 1928 book The Vampire, His Kith and Kin. In Greece, it was believed that redheads would turn into vampires after they died. If we move forwards through history to the Middle Ages, the way that Jewish people are portrayed artistically changes to begin to resemble more what we know today and what may also form something of a stereotypical image. Long beards, religious headgear, and in some cases, identifying badges. From the early 13th century, the wearing of these badges was made necessary by the church, a concept which unfortunately found a resurgence during wartime. In Christian art and church iconography, Christ and all of the disciples begin to be depicted like Christians are now, with one exception. Judas remained Jewish-looking. As the character who condemned Jesus to death with his betrayal, he is the anti-Christian. In the medieval period, a scapegoat was required for the crucifixion. The Jews formed this en masse, but Judas in particular and hence he was not depicted in the same way as the others. Judas is the same word as Judah, or Yehuda in Hebrew, representing the entire Jewish race. And so, Judas becomes the archetypal evil Jew, with red hair being caught up as part of that archetype. Although not common, some Jews do have red hair, but then most Danes are not red-headed. Stereotypes tend to paint everyone with the same broad brush. Shakespeare portrayed a stereotypical bad Jew, of course, in The Merchant of Venice with the character of Shylock. In early theatre, the role was most commonly played with an actor wearing a red wig and a beard. Very early sources for this are difficult to find, but a ballad version of the play in the mid-17th century has the lines... His beard was red, his face was made, not much unlike a witch's. 
We'll move on to witchcraft and red hair in just a moment. As a sideline, Shakespeare was not the only writer to employ this red-headed Jewish stereotype. Charles Dickens did so also. In Sketches by Boz, he discusses the red-headed and red-whiskered Jews who forcibly haul you into their squalid houses. And, of course, Oliver Twist has the most stereotypical evil character you could think of in Fagin. A very old, shriveled Jew whose villainous-looking and repulsive face was obscured by a quantity of matted red hair. As a final point regarding Jewish people and red hair, I would just mention the purported Jewish nation which was known as the Red Jews. They seem to appear in medieval sources in Germany and are somewhat mysterious in the historical record. Some scholars say that they are similar to the Turkish Khazars, who allegedly adopted Judaism around the 8th century, and who are sometimes described as having red hair and blue eyes. The naming of the Red Jews is not certain and contested by many, but some think that it is because they had red hair. Sources and evidence are too scant to be able to say much with certainty here, though. The French, as a nation, seemed to have little positive to say of redheads historically. Even into the 19th century, the phrase Paul de Judas, hair of Judas, was used to describe them. Back into the 1500s, it was said that witches in France would blaspheme the name of the Virgin Mary by calling her La Russe, the redhead. Red hair was said to be a sign of witchcraft in Christian Europe, and was often enough for a witchfinder to pronounce guilt on someone. The Malleus Maleficarum identifies witches as having red hair and green eyes. Medieval and earlier sources also ascribed magical properties to the biological makeup of red-headed people. Latin texts in the 1300s stated that the blood of a redhead could turn copper into gold. The fat of a red-haired man was said to be able to be used to make a poison, and the urine from red-haired boys was used to make paint for stained-glass windows. Red hair was sometimes used as an ingredient in a charm also. Charles Godfrey Leland, writing in his 1891 book Gypsy Sorcery and Fortune Telling, titled when the term was more racially acceptable than it is now, says that For easy childbirth, red hair is sewed into a small bag and carried on the belly next to the skin during pregnancy. Red hair indicates good luck and is called bala camescro, or sun hairs, which indicates its Indian origin. In spell law in the Scottish Highlands, witches were said to cause the infection erysipelas, which leads to red inflammation on the skin, by cutting a lock of red hair into small pieces and casting them, with cursing, in the direction of the person or animal that they wished to infect. During the Spanish Inquisition, Red hair was also used as evidence that a person was a witch because they had stolen the fire of hell. With all of these long-standing beliefs and prejudices against people with red hair, it is not surprising that many superstitions have arisen about them. These tend to mostly be on themes of ill fortune. 
We have already heard about the bad luck associated with first footing and redheads, but it was also said that the glance or shadow of a redhead, especially a female one, is ominous. Sailors are known for their superstitions regarding things that bring bad luck, because of course they are very vulnerable to problems when out at sea. They were especially wary of redheads because of all the bad luck and animosity historically ascribed to them. Folklorists in the 19th century have recorded that if a fisherman met a redhead when on his way to sea, he would most likely simply return home and not proceed. There are also reports of boat captains who did not want to take red-headed passengers on board. A Munster superstition stated that if the first person seen by a man on his way to work was a red-haired lady, then he would achieve nothing that day. There are other fascinating beliefs about redheads worth noting. One says that redheads were born with a pig under the bed. This stems from both pigs and foxes having negative connotations with redheads. And during the Middle Ages, when red was seen as the colour of the devil, red-haired children were thought to have been conceived at the wrong time of the month. It was believed at one time that people with red hair could not make good butter. Although it is uncertain that it has been recorded in print, an oral contribution to the subject from a London woman in her 80s said that it was common in her childhood to hear that if two people pour from the same teapot, one of them will have ginger twins. There are more international superstitions too. A 17th century French proverb translates into Salute no red-haired man nearer than thirty feet off, with three stones in thy fist, to defend thee in thy need. A saying in Hungary is that, A red dog, a red horse, a red man, none of them are good. An old Russian proverb suggests that there was never a saint with red hair, and in Japan it was believed that redheads were the offspring of lepers. We should end on a more positive note after so much negativity and misfortune, because it really isn't all bad for the red-headed amongst you. Because of the association of red with fire and blood, red hair is often associated with passion, and for many it is a very attractive trait. It was famously loved by Titian and many of the pre-Raphaelite artists. British legend says that King Arthur had red hair, and that a redhead would lead the country in times of trouble. Maybe Elizabeth I, one of the country's most remembered redheads, was one of these leaders. She was indeed a powerful and well-respected woman. Finally, a quote from another historical lover of red hair, Serrano de Bergerac. He said, A brave head, covered with red hair, is nothing else but the sun in the midst of his rays. Yet many speak ill of it, because few have the honour to be so. Do we not see that all things in nature are more or less red? Among the elements, he that contains the most essence and the least substance is the fire, because of his colour. Gold hath received of his dye the honour to reign over metals, and of all planets, the sun is most considered only because he is most red. The best balanced constitution is that which is between phlegmatic and melancholy. 
the flaxen and black are beside it, that is to say the fickle and obstinate, between both is the medium, where wisdom in favour of red-haired men hath lodged virtue, so their flesh is much more delicate, their blood more pure, their spirits more clarified, and consequently their intellects more accomplished, because of the mixture of the four qualities. I am indebted to the writer Sophia Kingshill, co-author of The Fabled Coast, for generously making her research on this topic available to me in the putting together of this episode. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The Folklore Podcast is written and presented by me, Mark Norman. To find out more about my research and writing, visit www.facebook.com slash marknormanfolklore or on Twitter with the handle at Mr underscore Mark underscore Norman. Research assistance is provided by Tracy Norman. Visit her website at www.tracynormanswitch.com to follow her historical research and projects. The Folklore Podcast will always be free to listen to and tries to avoid annoying advertising or sponsorship messages, but it cannot sustain itself. We are grateful for the support of all of our patrons who, for as little as $1 a month, earn themselves great rewards whilst ensuring our future. For more details, please visit www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. If you cannot support us in this way, please share the episodes on your social media and leave positive reviews. This really helps the audience for the podcast to grow. Visit www.thefolklorepodcast.com for more episode and guest information, to buy from the web store, or to sign up for free newsletters or get in touch. The Folklore Podcast theme music was written and performed by Gurdy Bird. Thanks for listening.